Hi, church. We're continuing our study of the parables, lessons from heaven for life on earth. I want to talk to you tonight about how to make each day spiritually productive. And the parable is found in Matthew 25, again, verses 14 through 30. Get a Bible, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Let me read. For it, the it is the kingdom. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, and then he went away. Jesus isn't here right now. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master comes back. 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Exactly the same words. 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. So it's interesting. The one talent servant says, I was afraid. And the master just says, no, you were wicked and you were lazy. Middle of 26. You know that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, that place, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to look at the Closing sort of judgment verses next Sunday night. But I want to start into this parable. Notice verse 14, the very first verse of the parable. It begins with that word, for. For, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, what if you had your Bible open, you'd see that we finished immediately the verse before, 25, 13, we finished the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. 
and how the ones who had come with just their lamps lit but no extra oil, their lamps ran out, they went and bought oil, they came back, but it was too late. And so verse 12, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You don't know when he's coming. And then 14 says, for... So this parable is linked with an explanation of the parable we studied last Sunday night. For the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey. So Jesus deliberately ties these two parables together. That whole parable about the wise and foolish bridesmaids, it dealt with the need for readiness when the bridegroom came. It's not enough to have your lamp burning at one time. Wise Christians will live uh, constantly, expectantly being prepared for the coming of Jesus. So this parable about these, these investing servants, it picks up the same theme, readiness for the Lord's coming. The master goes away on a long trip. Before he leaves, he comes to recruit his servants and he entrusts to them responsibilities. He wants to make sure that While he's away, while the master's away, his servants are looking after not their own interests, but his interests. Jobs, responsibilities are assigned. And so the Lord has come to each of us. That's the idea behind this parable. He has made us his own. We have been purchased by redemption. We've been called into discipleship. This parable teaches that we've not only been forgiven, praise God, But we've been assigned tasks. So the same master who came once to recruit and to entrust, he will come again to assess and to account with what his servants have done when he returns. So so like the parable of the ten bridesmaids, this parable too is a lesson on being ready for the return. But but it's the readiness is further defined. It's further explained. The five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. That parable readiness is is uh, is about waiting, waiting expectantly. In this parable of the investors, waiting is it's waiting with service. So. The bridesmaids, waiting with expectancy. The stewards, waiting with service and diligence. The master will be looking for energetic, disciplined investment of time and effort and resources when he returns. Let's start in looking at this parable. One, salvation is not only the receiving of grace, it is that, but it's also the giving up of rights and the establishment of new ownership. I get that right in the very first verse, Matthew 25, 14. For it, the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. His servants and his property. Those are the important words. He's not asking. He's assigning. There's nothing optional in the task that he's giving out. The servants can't just choose to ignore their master's commission without threat of great penalty. So this issue of lordship 
it's really pretty clearly defined here. It's taken out of a merely religious tokenism and it's placed in a realm that especially in that time, in that era, would be vividly understood. A master who controlled many servants. And without any question, we, as followers of Christ, are, are meant to understand lordship under the terms of this parable. Jesus is saying it's pointless just to take on his name. How many songs? Lord, Lord, Lord. He is Lord. We love you, Lord. And then Luke 6.46. Well, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's a good question, isn't it? What's the point in calling Jesus Lord if his will isn't supreme? What kind of lordship is that? The idea in this parable, I, I can't proclaim his lordship without proclaiming my servanthood. That's the way it works. I meant to see that right at the beginning of this parable. It's not a parable about a buddy dealing with a buddy or a friend dealing with a friend. I know there are different pictures in the Bible, but in this parable, it's not a neighbor dealing with a neighbor. It's a master dealing with his own servants. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What words? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And here's the parable in a nutshell. And you are not your own. We, we think we are. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the first and great lesson in the parable is that you're not your own once you proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Nothing about my life can be lived exclusively on my own terms, not if I'm following Christ. Okay, point number two. Every blessing from the Lord is more than a gift to be received. It is that. But it's also a test of stewardship. So 15 through 18. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had received two talents made two talents more. 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He didn't lose it, but he didn't use it productively. I think there are several ideas in those, uh, in those big four verses. So this is 2A. Every person received freely from the master's hand. It's important to note that no one's left out. Even one talent, it's easy to read that and not realize the significance of that amount. One talent was more money than many, many people would ever see. We know that from the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we know that one denarius was considered a fair pay for a day, one denarius. Well, one talent was the equivalent to 10,000 denarii. In other words, one talent would equal a lifetime of wages for most people. So we're meant to see in this parable that even the least endowed was gifted far beyond belief or expectation. There's, there's great grace. Right from the first moment in this story, what, what trust 
the master put in his servants, what involvement they all had in the master's kingdom. I think the idea here is Jesus wants me to know, wants you to know, you have a lot to work with in Christ's kingdom. That you have not been left out of his plans. That you have a lot to develop. You have much to invest. People who don't realize that will always just compare themselves with somebody else, which never happens in this parable, and kind of put themselves on the sidelines. There's such a tendency to hide the light under a bushel that Jesus warned against doing. So there's absolutely no question about your ability to put something into God's kingdom. The only question is willingness and faith and obedience. Okay, B, we're not all equally gifted. Life is different for each of us. I mean, opportunities vary. One received five talents, one received two talents, another received one talent. But, but I'll tell you what you never see in this parable. You never see the master comparing what the five-talent person did with what the two-talent person did. Jesus doesn't compare that way, and we shouldn't either. It's just, it's so easy to dream of, oh, what I would do if, if I had that person's gifting. What I would do for Jesus if I had that person's money. What I would do for Jesus if I had that person's ability. Or it's easy sometimes for bitterness to grow up in your heart because someone else does something so much better than you ever could. They get asked to sing more or play a better instrument. And nothing will rob your life of joyful fruitfulness in Jesus more than this sin of measuring your life by the talents given to another. I've often wondered if part of the reason this one talent servant buried his talent in the ground, maybe it was the fear that he wouldn't compare very well with the person who had been given five talents. Listen, church, there is something you can do in God's kingdom very well. You are urgently needed in Christ's church. You have been saved and placed in this body, this church, by design. Don't join the, the, the reams of Christians who never find the joy of doing what they were saved and called to do in the body of Christ. So this parable teaches a huge and I guess sometimes maybe neglected truth that you weren't just saved from sin, you were saved to service and ministry. If you're going to claim salvation at all, you're a servant. C. Just very practically, unless you explain away the very plain wording of Jesus' story, he tells it just the way he wants it told. The use of time and the use of money seem to be the areas Jesus singled out as Crucial tests of our servanthood. The servants were entrusted with talents, money, and they were left to work for an unspecified amount of time until the master came back. So, so how well they did with those two precious gifts, time and money, it determined how they would be assessed when their master returned in the parable. I think Jesus 
designs this story. He crafts it very carefully. Nothing establishes your identity in this world like those two ingredients. I mean, money is the measurement of what you are able to do in this world. Time is how long you can do it. And the message of this parable from our Lord is you can't serve him in a way that will be ready for his return without this kind of a radical, sizable investment of both my time and wealth in his kingdom. That seems to be what Jesus is saying. So let's just focus on that. I mean, this parable teaches me, Don. Jesus says there are two ways of viewing my life. There's two ways of viewing your life. Everybody listening, everybody watching. Two ways of viewing your life. Either you view your life and you live your life from the principle of ownership or you view it from the principle of stewardship. Stewards don't own their wealth. They manage it for a master. Stewards don't schedule their own time. They serve the agenda of the master. So Jesus says, I don't have owners. I have stewards. It's, it's a, a radical reshaping because everything in our culture teaches us that we're owners. We're owners of our lives. We're owners of our wealth. I can do what I want with it. Who can stop me? I'm owners of my time. Jesus says, well, well, then you just don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand what you signed up for. Point number three. All who profess Christ will be judged on the basis of their stewardship. Just one verse, Matthew 25, 19. Now, after a long time, it's a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So, so at the master's first meeting with these servants, he bestows, see his grace freely. At the second time he meets with them, he's going to reckon with them on the basis of what they had earlier received. That's the pattern in the parable. It's a mistake to think that judgment will just be based on what we have received from the Lord. The Bible, Jesus himself teaches, will be judged not just by what we have received from Jesus, by what we have done with what we received from Jesus. Notice also the one talent servant. He, he didn't lose what the master had given him. He had, in fact, all that he had been given, and he returned it. What he didn't have to show was was a life of service with what he had been given. He hadn't done anything with it. He had just received it. Is that a picture of a lot of Christian people? I don't know. Receive salvation, receive grace, receive his love. But, but this one talent individual, he didn't lose what was given, but he just never understood the nature of his life, the assignment of his life. That was his problem. He never understood what he was called to. Perhaps he thought it was, maybe he thought it was enough just to receive. Yes, I, I received salvation in 1968. Maybe he thought that was enough. I received. It, maybe that's a big problem 
in our thinking. I mean, watch for sure. Watch the religious stuff on TV. Isn't the emphasis for the most part what we receive from the Lord? Miracles, healing, prosperity, gold fillings, deliverance from oppression, you name it. And there's nothing wrong with receiving from the Lord. That's not my point. He loves to give good gifts to his children. I guess what I'm thinking about more is just a misplaced focus. I'm I'm more concerned with what isn't being said than what is. The emphasis can be all on getting what we need, getting what we want out of our relationship with Jesus. Oh, I don't go to that church anymore. I didn't feel I was being fed. I go to this one. I'm getting more out of it. Fair enough. And then all of a sudden we hear these words from Jesus. That he's coming back and we're going to be assessed, reckoned with. On the basis of not what we've received, but what we've invested, what we've done, how we've served. It, it just seems to be the heart of this whole parable. I mean, true, we all start, don't we? Freely with what we've been given. We all begin receiving. We all begin by grace. But we're going to be assessed not just by what we've received, but what we've done. If the grace was real, if the faith is real, it has to manifest itself in that kind of service. I said at the beginning, we're going to look at the anger of the master. I mean, a lot of people are troubled by the close of this parable. We're going to look at that next Sunday night. Enough to note just for now that the reason the master's rage is justified is this. The servant, knowing he was a servant, he knew he was a servant. He should have been living differently than he lived. That's why the master calls this servant wicked and he calls this servant lazy. And I don't, I don't ever want to hear those two words from Jesus. Not ever. Do you, do you want to make each day spiritually productive? Remember, remember, first of all, that you're not an owner. That has to somehow get rinsed out of our minds and it doesn't come out easily. You're a steward, not an owner. Remember that you have been given enough by the Lord to serve. Start with what you have. Find the joy in serving. And finally, live each day thinking about the master's return. What a story. We'll look at the conclusion of this parable maybe in more detail next Sunday night. Let's pray. So much of our lives need to be uh, rethought through in kingdom terms. Our culture has convinced us that we are owners of our own estates. And then the New Testament comes and says, no such thing. And we need your Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't properly get our mind around that truth without your Holy Spirit in us. And so bless your word to our heart. Bless our church. Pray that you keep us safe and in your care. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stay in the word, church. God bless you and join us for our prayer time.